Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to episode 33 of the Instant Feedback Podcast with me, Marcus Keeley. Hello, how are you getting on there? That was a bit weird. The Instant Feedback Podcast. Cast. It's a bit weird how I say that. Um, I'm probably just finding it weird because uh, it's been a wee while since I've done an episode. I'm alright. No no need to worry about me. Um, I just sort of took an unofficial summer holiday, I guess. Except I didn't go anywhere because it's not really clear... If it's safe to go anywhere, although plenty of people do seem to be going places and going anywhere they want. And um, I'm just sitting in the house feeling like a a big fucking clown uh, because it's just hard to know what you should and shouldn't do. Um, And it's fun to watch people carry on and uh, do whatever takes takes the notion of them. I don't know. I'm, I'm, as as, as, as I've said plenty of times before i'm happy enough to sit in the house but it is getting to the point where i feel like a wee bit of a mug um but i guess that's up to me that's that's my own preference um how how are you getting on um out there out there in the real world outside uh your houses you getting on all right um as i said it's been a wee while since i've done an episode um a couple of different reasons for that um, one being that I got got a new a new computer, so it's been a while to sort of get everything set up and get everything running. Um, hopefully, this episode should sound fine. I have set and edited it, edited it, so it should be all right. Um, and I'm spending a lot of time on Twitch. Um, Twitch, if you don't know, is an online streaming platform that is mostly used for people to play games on. But as you've heard from well, perhaps heard from previous episodes, I spoke to Rad Bananas, who's a Twitch streamer. And now I'm a Twitch streamer. You can catch me on twitch.tv forward slash Marcus Keeley. Live streaming uh, games, chats, a um, couple of different things. I did an event with a bunch of other Northern Irish streamers uh, earlier this week called Cool Times TV. Featuring Mary Flanagan, who has been on the podcast before, uh, Robert J.E. Simpson, who's been on the podcast before, and uh, Kaylee Ray Minogue. And we sort of did a Twitch night where we all sort of broadcasted one after another. Um, if you follow me on social media, you will definitely have heard about that and potentially unfollowed me because I noticed uh, I dropped a few followers from saying, OK, now we're on me. And then now Mary Flanagan is streaming. Now this, now that. So sorry about that. Um, but if you unfollowed me and they're still listening to the podcast, um, what's what's wrong with you? What's the problem there? Um, so, yeah, there will be more episodes of instant feedback. But if you can't go without your Marcus fix, I'm usually on there. Um, probably most nights after nine or ten playing games. Uh, talking rubbish and potentially doing a couple of other things it's not just games you can find all sorts of um, interviews and sort of real life streams and stuff so I'd say sign up and, and have a wee look and don't forget to follow twitch.tv forward slash Marcus Keeley right that's the advertising out of the way Um, this episode I talked to a very good friend of mine uh, Victoria Steveley who's been a journalist in Northern Ireland as you'll hear for about 15 years or so we talk about a a whole bunch of things how she got started in journalism how she um, made a TV show recently uh, called A Taste of Success and that is still available on actually it's called Taste of Success so there you go that's great I'm still rusty and you'll hear that in the interview where um there, there is a lot of um, and so why uh, don't you tell me uh, about this? Um, some of you would argue something like that anyway, but it was very 
gracious of Victoria to put up with me in my in my rusty state. Um, we'll talk about all sorts of different things, and uh, it's a good crack. It was nice to talk to Victoria, and hopefully you will enjoy listening to her. Uh, she has plenty of interesting things to say. So without further ado, let's get on with that, and I'll be back at the end for another rechat and to say goodbye. So until then, enjoy me talking badly to Victoria Stavely. Okay. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 33 of the Instant Feedback Podcast. How are you getting on? It's been a wee while. There's been a wee bit of a gap in the uh, the output uh, of recently, but I thought the best thing to do would be to, you know, getting back into the interviewer style and the proper, like, uh, journalistic integrity of the of the show. I would go in easy and talk to a real professional journalist and uh, maybe she can give me some tips on uh, proper interview etiquette and tell me how rusty I am. Uh, we have on the line remotely, uh, Victoria Stevely. Hello, Victoria. Hi, how's it going? Thanks for having me. No worries at all. I'm I'm very excited to talk to you um, as a as a real real life journalist. Um, how's it going so far? How, what do you think? Well, all right, I guess. All right. Mm. Um, there's a lot to contend with at the minute. Mm. Uh, so you know, I guess for journalists, it's that kind of swings and roundabouts thing of oh, you know, this is a huge story. You'd never covered anything like it, mm. um, but then on the flip side, you you also have to just go through it like everybody else. So that's not great. Yeah. Well, maybe 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 I'll get better as 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 I go along. As I said, I'm a bit rusty. It's been a while since I've talked to anyone outside of my uh, my house directly. So uh, I, I, there might be some weird social uh, faux pas or or um, I don't know what's the word. Um, uh, elements i can't even i can't even think of the right words that's that's how well we're going um so all that aside victoria um as i said at the start there you're you're a journalist how long have you have you been a professional journalist for professional journalist Um, longer than i like to think basically kind of fell into it a bit so it must be about 15 years i think Mm. I did a, a degree in English and because at that point I still wasn't sure about the whole journalism thing um, and then I went on and did a postgrad in journalism and fell into radio land almost by accident. Did I associated journalism quite heavily with newspapers and I think that's because like I didn't have media connections. I didn't have, like no one in my family does anything like that. So you can be a bit influenced by that and opportunities that come to you when you're quite young. And so I didn't have TV aspirations. I didn't really have radio aspirations. Um, I loved writing and I just thought, yeah, newspapers, I'm going to be a newspaper journalist. And I've actually never been a newspaper journalist. (laughs) I, I did a stint of work experience in a local paper and that's as that's as close as I've, I've come to to newspaper land which is kind of funny because my degree at that time actually was quite specifically print journalism oh wow so that's that's the case of another degree going to good use for exactly the reason that someone studied it for that's good exactly uh, exactly 
Was it whenever you were young and you wanted to be a journalist? Was it seeing like, <clears throat> excuse me, cartoons and like and like films and stuff where the journalist walked around with one of those hats with the wee press card just in the in the hat lapel? That seems like a, a wrong term, but you know the wee press card sticking out of the wee uh, rain hat. Was that what you wanted? Because that's what I wanted. I for a long time uh, when I was young liked the idea of being a journalist, and I think I think it was the hat that really encouraged me along that i'm gonna show my age here just when you say that what immediately comes to my mind is kermit the frog <laughs> oh yes that's so, right yeah. and he did a wee stint as a, as a reporter and and had his wee microphone in the hat and the trench coat yeah god i wish god, i wish that was what journalism was actually like i'm all about where is my trench coat no one has provided this no, no standard issue trench coat uh, once you, you finish your degree. I, I suppose instead of having a mortarboard, you could have one of those wee press hats that you just throw up into the air. That, could be that should option. totally have been a thing. That should totally have been a thing, but mm-hmm. no, sadly not. So These was, and other cliches have been absent. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was writing, really, that, that um, got you on the idea of going, hey, maybe I could... Uh, I could, was it uh, sort of editorial stuff or, or reporting stuff? I suppose maybe the young age you weren't too sure, but what what aspect of writing was it that got you interested into it? So, I mean, to be to be absolutely honest, um, for me, um, journalism was a bit of it was my sensible compromise. I was a total bookworm as a kid, loved stories, so I really I wanted to write and and to be honest that's probably the way that was the dream but it was like hmm, that's you, you can't really train to do that as such or and no one gives you a job and at some point you stop being a kid about these things and start thinking well at some point I'm going to have to be a proper grown up and and pay bills etc cetera, etc cetera. uh you know careers advisors will will weigh in quite heavily and they were like oh so you know you, you like english okay well you can be a teacher or you can be unemployed um i was like mm, okay. i don't know that i'm loving the sound of either of those to be honest teaching i did also consider mm. um but i don't know that i'm anywhere near organized enough for that so uh, yeah, I, I focused on, I, I stuck at it. I always kind of said that if I was going to go to university, I wanted to do English. That was the thought of just going and, and having to read a little book. So I was like, yeah, I can, I can do that. Turns out it's not quite that simple, but um, yeah. That, and then journalism seemed to become more of a, a reality. Because as I say, you know, when you, when you don't know anyone who works in, in TV or radio or something like that, you kind of think, well, how on earth does someone get a job like that? Mm. And I do actually remember, and it, this sounds like it should be a great story. I remember it because I went to Queen's and I remember getting the train up to Belfast and the train going past at Havelock House, new oh. TV. And this sounds like I should have been wistfully staring out the window thinking one day, no, never crossed my mind, never crossed my mind. I pretty much clocked it and went, that's where they make the news. That was it. Uh, Never, ever thought that I would work there. And um, yeah, I do. (laughs) Well, I don't anymore because we've obviously moved from Havelock, but. Yeah, that's right. That's down by down by City Keys now. One of those nice new buildings. Well, say nice new buildings. Very, very rarely a new building is actually nice because Havelock House is. I think it's a, is it a listed building, and they're trying to turn it into 
some awful apartments or something like that. There was some sort of um, movement on the go to say, well, you don't actually need to demolish it or rip half of it out. You could just keep keep the facade. And that gives me flashbacks to the whole Primark fire, which was two years ago yesterday. That was... Um, Crazy time is just... Yeah. It's um, become slightly meaningless in this whole weird world. You know, what day of the week gets out, no one knows. Yeah. So, yeah, it's... If someone told me, I love the pre-mart fire there, uh, that's uh, 15 years ago today, I would have been like, yeah, sure. That's, that <laughs> seems, seems yeah. about right, yeah. Um, but you mentioned there um, working in Havelock House and obviously you have experience of working in a busy newsroom. Um, and obviously we we have, well, I say we, the normal, not normal people, um, the the, um, the civilians of the world have an idea of what it's like to um, work in a busy newsroom through television, like, um, you know, TV programs. And I'm, I'm blanking on thinking of any TV program that has a busy newsroom, but loads of them do. There was that one... Um, what did you call it? Drop the dead donkey. <laughs> Drop the dead donkey. That's right. That one. Is it anything like Drop the Dead Donkey? Is it just? Is it hilarity twenty four seven? Absolutely, uh, no. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's funny because people they seem to vary in in their opinion of what it must be like, um, and some people think very busy, very serious, very intense just not entirely wrong and some people because it's tv they think very glamorous and exciting and that's quite wrong uh, I'm, I'm still waiting for the glamour to kick in it's it's funny just people do and especially because you know northern ireland you've you've kind of got your your bbc and your utv and you're so known to everyone like it's such a it's ingrained in so many people you sit down at tea time and you watch the news. Uh, whether you like it or you don't like it, it's not necessarily because you're a roaring fan of it, but it, it's just such a, a thing to do. So, you know, people feel like they know the familiar faces and, and I think a lot of people do in some way or another have an impression of what it must be like. It's probably not quite what they expect it, in many different ways. <laughs> Well, you mentioned there, there's there's a there's a lack of glamour, and because it's a it's a twenty four seven environment, I imagine. Well, similar to the times the times that we're in now, as we say, it must it must get to a point where you don't know what day it is, and someone will be there, and it seems like they're there all the time, and you know, it must be a weird bubble in its own where you're just it's like a, it's like a, maybe like a weird hidden civilization where you're all just constantly reacting everything on the outside, but nothing of importance really happens in the room that you're in. It's everything that happens outside instead. It must be a strange wee ecosystem to be in. Yeah, it's funny. And especially, you know, there's there's so many different roles as well. I, I think for people who aren't that familiar with the mechanics of journalism, they'll maybe have a really particular idea of what that job's like. And it might be the reporter who's out and about and, you know, the one they see on screen, or it might be the presenter that they see in a studio or, you know, they'll have certain views of, of, of radio people and they'll maybe catch glimpses of behind the scenes stuff of them in the studio. Um, and newspaper journalists, they'll have this, you know, keyboard bashing view of people. But there's so many other roles beyond that and production teams and, and you know, camera crews and, and the people that you rarely see. For those people who, and I'm quite usually newsroom based, 
um, and now working from home based. Mm. Um, but I'm I'm not out and about as much. So that does create that weird kind of bubble environment where you're you're simultaneously you feel like you're at the forefront of, of all these big stories because you're so engrossed in it and following it. And yet at the same time, you're not the one who's physically there. So you feel very removed from it. So that's kind of interesting. You know, I, I used to joke that if something cool was ever happening in Northern Ireland, you know, sort of on the, on the lighter side of, of news stories where there's like a big event, I was like, you know, I'll be watching from where I'm always watching the newsroom. <laughs> you know, I'm never actually there. <laughs> so it's, it is funny. What uh, you mentioned there, you're working from home now, like a lot of us. Does the disassociation feeling of being in the news, but not in the news, but you know, that whole world seem a, a, a greater level of weird now because there's all this this stuff happening and you know well there's there's more news now than ever i guess but i'm sure that's said every day what's it like working from home and having to sort of navigate between like colleagues and the news and is you know i part part of the the weird thing about it is that you can't turn around to someone and go here what you see this thing that popped into the email what's that about you can't do that it's a whole task and i where you're like i have to sit and compose an email or i have to physically pick up the phone there's not that sort of sharing of information between colleagues. So it must be interesting to manage while working from home. Yeah, I, I find it quite tricky and, and more so than I had kind of factored in. Um, I remember those early days. I mean, I, I left work, like the physical newsroom, I think it was a, a Friday evening and it was just starting to dawn on people that things were about to change massively. And I got into the car and I just, I remember it was on all the motorway signs, you know, wash your hands, keep your distance. And that just seemed so surreal at that point. You had no idea what lay ahead. And I was like, Do you know, I, I don't know if I'm going back to work on Monday. And as it turned out, I wasn't. And, and that was the end of March and I haven't been back since. Um, so I've been working the whole time, but I've, I've physically been in the building once to pick up a monitor. And, um, but those early days, it was all a slight scramble. You know, technically, can we do this? And obviously for broadcast journalists, it's, it's about outputting the program is the most important thing and all the technology behind that. So that's got challenges. It's all technically doable. But as you say, it's that bubble effect, you know, and, and in some ways we are lucky in that we're more connected than ever. I mean, you've got your mandatory four million Zoom meetings a day. Mm-hmm. It's like, how can I miss you if you won't go away? <laughs> <laughs> but no phone call, no email, no video call is as effective at getting information out of your colleagues as a good elbow in the ribs and a, you know what do you know about this tell me and then of course for some people you know again it comes down to all those different roles that are involved in news some people can be very focused on one task whether it's in front of a camera or behind it or, or whatever it is but they can be very focused on one thing or they may be juggling lots of different things Someone may get to focus on one story. Someone has to be across everything that's happening. And it is easy to, to miss things or, and, and you, you find yourself, there is like a new layer of, of paranoia, you know, it's kind of 
did I misinterpret that email? Did that, did that mean what I thought it meant? Um, you know, just all these considerations and there's always so much chatter in a newsroom. Different people take to it in different ways. Some people are like, headphones on I can't cope with this and some people quite like all that buzz and, and you're you know quite often you may the first time you find out something really important will be you know someone said it on the other side of the room and you're going hang on a minute I should probably know about that <laughs> um, and, you, and suddenly you just you don't have that anymore and then you do think because we've got that split set up where there are some people who have to physically be in studios or in newsrooms and some people who are working from home at times you are sat there going I'm still here hello <laughs> do you remember me um so it's it's just bizarre it's um it's interesting the broadcast journalists that you mentioned because they're working from home and quite often broadcasting from home like the other day there I saw I think it was a weatherman like give a weather update from his conservatory and he was just sitting there and obviously the production team somewhere just you know, overlaid like what's happening, but he was just like sitting on his couch, being like, "As you can see, there'll be a cold front pushing in there." But sure, anyway, uh, do you want a cup of tea? Like, it was just, it was very like I like the idea of having to call around to like Frank Mitchell's house and wrap the door and be like, "Here, can you tell me the weather?" <laughs> because uh, we're, we're, you can't be in the studio, so I, I like that idea. It's it's strange things, especially like seeing like proper big production TV shows and stuff doing it either like without an audience or all the presenters and all the bits and pieces just doing it from their home and just switching back and forth and say like, fuck it like everyone is having to do like zoom calls now <laughs> essentially for like genuine tv interesting although it's a, it's a nice dry run for the nuclear apocalypse when we're all in our bunkers <laughs> having to do we broadcast now and then to the outside world but i'm sure you're well prepared for that after having worked in a newsroom and as you said earlier you've been a journalist for 15 years now what would be your advice for someone who's maybe I don't know if there's any young people listening, but if there are, or, you know, even maybe not so young people looking to, to get into journalism. I'm sure there's a lot of people these days who certainly call themselves journalists, um, but from a professional point of view, um, and especially from your experience of having, you know, not known any media contacts and stuff, which might, a lot of people might say is the first big step in stone. What would be your advice if you're looking to get into journalism in Northern Ireland? Actually, something that I would say to people is, be sure that's what you want and um, know know what you want to get out of your career and then ask yourself is that actually journalism um because you do come across so many people who they think they want to work in a newsroom or they have a particular drive i, I want to be on camera i want to be famous and and you're like well that's fine i'm not knocking that but do you want to be a journalist or do you just want to be a presenter? Um, you know, would you be happier working on an entertainment show or working? You know, there's so many other avenues, but I think people go, this is what journalism is. And it doesn't necessarily fit what will make them happy. You know, are you prepared to work your way up as well? Because, it, I mean, it's very rare. No, well... <laughs> I wouldn't say it's impossible, but I would be very surprised if anyone was to saunter into a big newsroom and go, I'd like to read your six o'clock news, please. Thanks. Mm. <laughs> I just, that's not how it happens. And obviously people, there are people who get lucky breaks and big breaks and all of that. And, and But quite often when you see someone who just appears and they seem to have materialized out of nowhere, quite often there is a long story behind that. 
I mean, realistically, for someone starting out in journalism, journalism as I think of it, kind of hard news, there is a lot of day-to-day stuff that you're going to have to put up with doing. And if you're going to find that a real drudge, if that is not what interests you, then I would kind of say, mm, is it really for you? You know, can you sit through council meetings, <laughs> really dull court cases? Like we're not talking big, high profile stuff where, you know, it's all over TV and it's all anybody's talking about. It, it's, you know, real day to day stuff because that's how you find your feet and you do need to find your feet. I mean, and everyone's different. So I always, I always kind of have to remember that because like, I'm possibly not the sort of person that people would associate with being a journalist. I was really, really shy as a kid. Like the thought, I know there's people I went to school with who'd be like, how is, you know, and especially I'm, I'm very behind the scenes now. Um, I used to be a radio journalist. I used to present news bulletins and programs and stuff. And I was someone who didn't like speaking up in class. So I know there's people I went to school with going, how has this happened? So, I mean, it's doable. If you're someone who's in that position, don't be put off by that necessarily. You know, there's just, there's there's so much more to it. Journalism such a broad spectrum. And if you're someone who has a very narrow view of what bits of that you want to do, those are the people that I would say, you know, just be careful and then know what's out there because um, there's so many roles. And again, you know, if the thought of being on camera horrifies you, there are so many roles beyond that. So it's not to say, well, you'd better just close that door and say journalism's not for you. So yeah, it's, um, but it well, you know, it, it keeps you on your toes. No two days. There, there are things that are, are slightly routine, but, you know, no two stories are ever completely the same. So there might be patterns to things. You know, you do get some great opportunities and, and big stories come your way. And if you're the sort of person who's interested in that, the sort of person who's always, you know, across what's going on in the world, uh, you know, you have to be, you have to be passionate about finding out about people. And that's what it all comes down to. That probably sounds really cheesy, but like it is just all about people. But be prepared, journalists. They get a really bad rep and, uh, you know, some of them may deserve it, but, you know, you're yeah. all going to get tired with the one stick. <laughs> I like I like the idea of you uh, at like a, a careers night at a school and just grabbing children and being like, you have to be prepared for it. You have to be prepared. They'll always <laughs> kick you while you're down. It'll be very boring, but it'll be fulfilling. Um, but then, you know, that's a lot of that's a lot of jobs, I guess. Yeah. I mean, as you say, journalists get a bad rep. Do you think in the past wee while let's just say again with everything that's going on is is trust in journalists and journalism gone down more than ever because the whole lack of people willing to check facts and even whenever facts are presented to them to decide not to take it on board or they will pick and choose which let's say journal journalism or which news in inverted commas to believe you know it, it do you think it's getting to a point where people or maybe completely losing faith in news and just picking whatever suits them best rather than face hard facts. It is hard and, and you can see how it's changed. And, and well, part of it is how much has it changed? And, and part of it is that that's just so much more visible now because everyone has a platform on social media to put their views out there. And, you know, like 
everyone is entitled to an opinion and they're entitled to share it. But it is that kind of sweeping approach to anything. Journalists do get a really hard rep at the minute. And I think for some people, they'll make these sweeping statements and they have a very particular type of journalist in mind. You know, we know that there have been scandals in journalism, phone hacking, terrible things. That's not everyone. You know, the same people who are doing great journalism and telling very important stories are kind of bearing the brunt of, you know, the actions of, of the bad apples, so to speak. And, and every industry is like that. Um, so, I mean, it is really difficult. And I think as, as consumers of news, if you're scarring around the internet to find things that meet your worldview, you're not informing yourself in the best possible way. You're just finding things that you already agree with. You're not challenging yourself, you know, and it's, it's fine to, to have different opinions and believe different things. But, you know, if, if you can't ever sit back objectively and ask yourself why you think that or, or to, to ever try to see someone else's point of view without just attacking them. I mean, that's not a great approach to anything. We can all be, we can all get things wrong just as, as human beings. Cause I mean, you know, okay, I might be a journalist, but I'm still a human being. I'm still interested in news. So I'm consuming a lot of news from other places. And, you know, I think you do just think that some people, you're never going to change minds, but I don't think any, I don't think any journalist ever thinks that that's going to be the case. All you can kind of do is, is try to do a good job and, and put facts out there. Um, but at the minute, yeah, as you say, there is, there is this real shying away from experts, you know, which it is understandable because with so much social media out there everyone has got a platform to call themselves an expert so who do you trust and I, I get that that's quite difficult but it seems to be quite strange that we've come so far down the technology route and yet we've not really gotten a whole lot smarter in in how we deal with it and you kind of think that we should because you're now into the generations where you know kids are growing up who's who've never not had the internet you know they've never they've never not known what it's like to not have social media but i suppose the flip side of that is that kids are generally quite a lot smarter and savvier than grown-ups when it comes to these things we hear so much about you know won't someone think of the children protect them from social media and you think well to be honest someone could do having a word with their mom and dad because <laughs> that can be where the problems lie but um yeah it, it is something i've thought that you know, surely, I mean, at schools, you generally do some kind of, you know, media is, a, you know, you're, you're taught about media in some form or the other. And I do think at some point, surely, there's going to have to be a lot more focus on social media and the, the good sides and the bad sides of it. Because, I mean, there are obviously both, um, you know, social media gets a, a horrible rep sometimes as, as just somewhere for you know, lies to be spread and, and, you know, bullying to go on and, and all of this. But, um, you know, kids are, kids are quite savvy about these things. And, and, you know, that's one of the things as well, where you don't have to go down a traditional journalism role anymore, necessarily. Um, you know, look at the kids making a fortune on YouTube, you know, mm. if, if only that had been a thing, <laughs> you know, so I just think, Everything evolves 
and and you kind of have to evolve with it yeah. but we're not always great at that we're not always great at embracing all these things no things as you were saying there it's it's amazing how far technology has come along and and um you know that we seem to be a bit slower uh adapting to the technology it's because we're stuck with the old monkey brain it's, it, i think it's i think it's about time to start getting some uh microchips implanted in the old, uh, <laughs> cerebellum or whatever i think elon musk was talking about that last night or yesterday so so i didn't click into because i can't i can't stand that man but talking about getting a fitbit in your brain or something like that i think i think he needs he needs a wee bit of help so 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 far in your in your journalism career what would be one story that come that comes back to you that you were involved with whether it's something you're like god i'm really proud of that or just something that sticks out and you always sort of refer back to it Gosh, there's a question um wow um there's so many and and you know it can it, it's funny how certain things do just stick with you and and whether it's because of the the people who were involved that you got to meet or you know, sometimes it will be because of the scale of a story and it's something big that you, you never expected you would get a chance to, to cover something like that. So I've been quite, I've been quite lucky. I mean, it's easy to sometimes look back and think, gosh, I've, I've spent a lot of time, you know, shut in the newsroom. But then when I really do think about it, I'm like, well, I, actually, hang on, I've got to do some cool stuff. I guess there's, there's from, from little silly things, like I got to go out at really short notice and after a, a spell of really being used to being shut in a newsroom and it was just to go and, and interview this lady who was graduating from university and she was in her 70s and she was class she was just the, the best woman you know she was it's so inspiring and and i really don't mean that to sound patronizing because one of the things was it, you know i think somebody was like well you know so she's a, she's in her 70s you know big deal why shouldn't she be graduating you know are you trying to say she should be sitting in the corner knitting and why is this a story and it's like no no hang on a minute <laughs> it's not that but it's not the norm um, and I think that there are people who think that you get to a certain age and opportunities are lost to you. And I don't think it's anywhere near 70. You know, I think there's people in their 30s who would bulk at starting again and go back to university. And she was just she was just such a, a, a brilliant person. And she she did a brilliant interview. So she stands out in my mind. And, and in the one sense, like, that's not a big story. It wasn't a big feature piece. It was like a clip in the news. I just thought it was really cool and it maybe it just shows how much of a shut-in I am as a journalist <laughs> I don't get a lot of human interaction but I think things like that are cool I do I genuinely really like people's stories I've got to do some cool unexpected things as well I do I really I love seeing people from obviously you know we're Northern Ireland based so everything's kind of got that that local angle and I love seeing people from Northern Ireland doing really well like like majorly well top of their game international level kind of stuff after all the you know I'm, I'm so newsroom based that I, I don't get out a lot I can't stress this enough I'm such a <laughs> shut-in I I got to be ringside for Carl Frampton's first world title fight like, mm. like proper ringside and so like I'm, I'm not a, a front of camera person I'm not a roving reporter type and I don't specialize in sports it's like why on earth were you there um but I was there to do like online coverage of it and everything and I, I literally you know I, I could have reached into the ring and swung a punch mm-hmm. um so and the atmosphere was unreal because you know 
big crowds in Northern Ireland. And, you know, in the current climate, you, you look at that and you go, when's that going to happen again? Yeah. Um, but it was, it was such a brilliant night. And, um, and, and this is what I mean about, you know, some, and some people, I think, I think bizarrely, um, there was like somebody did spot me on TV, like literally sitting ringside. And so somebody messaged me going, Oh my God, I can't believe you're there. That's so exciting. Blah, blah, blah. But the reality, very not glamorous. Um, so a, a fight at, you know, outside Titanic Belfast. And it was, someone will probably pull me up on this and tell me I'm wrong. You know, time has become meaningless. I think it was in April of that year. It was the coldest I have ever been. <laughs> and I had to sit with a laptop in a fixed position from about three, four o'clock in the afternoon. And I got back to the newsroom at about two in the morning. God. <laughs> and I was like a smurf. I have never been so cold. At one point, I'm, I'm, I'm typing away on my keyboard going, I can't feel my fingers. <laughs> it was just so not glamorous. Um, and obviously there were people there and, you know, boxing is one of those things where um, some people do get very dressed up and it's a big glam night out. And, and I was just looking at them and there were, you know, some women in gorgeous dresses and, and stuff. And they were making me cold just looking at them. I was in about 16 layers and whatever there was some big i have to admit i didn't know who he was but there was like a really big boxing correspondent from one of the papers in in england or something who was sitting beside me and i was pretty much using him as a windbreaker going please <laughs> i just want to not be cold nights like that that atmosphere and uh, a bit of sweet caroline you know it, that was great yeah nice well um, not glamorous at the time, but uh, certainly had something to look back on over the over the years. You are one of the big um, champions of the Belfast Giants ice hockey team. That would be that would be one of your I don't know passions, I guess, in terms of because you like the team and you and you always cover their matches anyway. What's, yeah, uh, I've um, the last few years. I well, it's probably again this is probably longer than I think. So I guess going back about maybe five, six, seven years, I've kind of covered a lot of, of Giants games. And uh, so, yeah, I, I loved ice hockey as a little kid. Don't really know why. Don't really have a story for that. I remember watching it on TV at a really young age, um, probably not having a clue what was going on, who was playing one thing or the other, but it's, it's quite, it's a fast, exciting game. And so I probably just enjoyed that. And then, you know, if you've got any interest in ice hockey and you're in Northern Ireland, Belfast Giants, yeah. um, you know, that's, that's the team. <laughs> and I think for me, it, I totally get that it's a niche thing. You know, people who don't get it are like, ice hockey, Northern Ireland, really? What? How? But for me, I think they've, they've done an amazing thing in being around for 20 years now. They were a team in Northern Ireland with that rare opportunity of a clean slate and no ties to any side of the community and to just be this, this new thing that they wanted anyone and everyone to get on board with. And because I do think, you know, I think sport teams in Northern Ireland and especially in recent years have done so much work 
to try to counter some maybe traditional divides or you know certain teams are associated certain teams certain sports are associated with one side or the other and that is a you know anyone in Northern Ireland knows how hard those things are to shake the Giants were able to establish themselves as being something for everyone but for that to never creep in I, I don't know that they get enough credit for that. Um, you know, they've put so much effort into that, you know, no colours that could possibly be seen as as pandering to anyone or anything. You know, no, you can't go to games in, you know, other team colours or, you know, football jerseys or, or anything that could be seen as, as kind of divisive. There's no, there's no flags, no emblems, no anthems. So I think that's great. And I, I know that they do. And I know other sports teams um, do this as well, by the way. But, they, you know, they do so much in the community and, and for charity. And, you know, some of it, they obviously use their profile to, to raise awareness. But there's not so much that goes on that, that people don't even really hear about. And I just, I, I think they've been really good for Northern Ireland. And um, I think, again, it comes down to, to people and stories some of the stories of of fans and how they've taken to it and the passion behind it i think that's brilliant like i don't i don't believe in guilty pleasures i think you should always be proud of what you love and if if you know you, you hear people oh you're such a geek for liking that or that's so weird or what whatever um and i think no you know if you're really passionate about something go for it and and <laughs> nobody goes for it like giants fans they're um yeah they're they're pretty full on <laughs> yeah no I, i've been i've been a good few times i wouldn't be i wouldn't be a, a season ticket holder but i do like to go on occasion and you know the place is always packed and you do get that sense of it's it's an inclusive place it's you know non non-sectarian there's no and even for someone like i wouldn't be big into sports but i could easily sit and watch a nice hockey match because the pace of it is it's quite frenetic as well and there's plenty of breaks in between it's just sort of it's a it's a nicely paced sport and you can just sit there and shoot your your fucking head off and that'll that'll seem completely normal um and get on like a crazy person or you can just sit there and get blocked and watch um big canadian men and knock the shit out of each other i mean absolutely something for everyone oh and a subway cannon as well so i i I lie and wait for for the time uh the subway cannon achieves its first headshot uh from the crowd (laughs) i can't wait i can't wait for that day I have a lot of technical questions about the subway cannon um, and I hope one day to get to the bottom of them. So you were saying earlier on that you like, you know, you like people from here, you like to champion people from here who went and, and made a success of themselves. Um, and you, uh, you, you made a program earlier this year um, that was on uh, UTV, ITV, uh, Taste of Success. Yeah, this was, it was a pretty big deal for me because as I say, you know, there's so many different roles in journalism and program making like that was, was sort of not in my remit. And I, I wasn't sure that it would happen. So I, I should probably explain for anyone who didn't see it and, uh, you know, where were you? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I should explain first what it was about and then it'll sort of maybe make sense. So there's a chef from Northern Ireland called Claire Smith who just happens to be one of the best chefs in the world. Mm. and just happens to be from Bushmills. The other side to that is she's a woman in a very male-dominated environment, which is kind of funny because if, if you're going to go to kind of sexist jokes and stuff, you know, you'll get a lot of, oh, women stay in the kitchen, unless it's a professional kitchen, in which case there's a bit of an attitude of, 
no, this is not your place. Let the mm. men do the, the cool stuff here. I've always found that kind of weird. Um, but anyway, professional kitchens are traditionally seen as quite meal dominated. And it's that stereotypical shouty, sweary, angry blokes rattling pans and throwing knives and, you know, crazy places. Claire has not only navigated that, but she is at the top of her game. She is one of the best chefs in the world. Uh, it's not just me saying that. She actually uh, got the title uh, a couple of years ago now, I think, of, of world's best female chef. Slightly controversial in the whole, do you need to make that distinction, yeah. etc. There was debate around that. And she herself wouldn't define herself as a female chef. She's just a chef. But anyway, she's she's done brilliantly. As I say, she's from Bushmills, grew up normal family, farming background, um, took herself off at 16 and, and was like, I'm going to be a chef. And I'm not just going to be any chef, I'm going to be a brilliant chef. Imagine having that kind of drive at 16. At 16, I had a clue what I wanted to do and could not have taken myself off anywhere, let alone to London. Yeah. <laughs> so she did that very, very driven very independent. She fast forward to now and she has a two Michelin star restaurant in swanky Kensington in London, which as you probably explained for the non-foodies, two Michelin stars is amazing. It's not like hotels where you're looking for five, <laughs> uh, you know, in case anyone's going two, she's only got two. That can't be great. Uh, no, one Michelin star is incredible. Two is phenomenal. And if you get three, that is properly at the at the top so that's her ambition obviously mm. so she um she did have technically three stars because she ran she was the head chef for gordon ramsay's flagship three-star restaurant um but that's not seen as being the same thing even though you're the one in the kitchen doing all the hard work yeah, it doesn't just... <laughs> doesn't transfer between locations it has to be all all in one i i have i have to admit some some ignorance here whenever i watched the program when it was originally uh broadcast in march i think just a couple of i think it was in march wasn't it it was a, a shortly before the pandemic the michelin star thing i just i <laughs> I remember saying to Neve, I was like, Michelin star, who was Michelin? Was it like, was he like some like big fa- fancy chef? And she was like, no, it's the fucking tire company. And I was like, what's a tire company got to do with fucking food? That's ridiculous. And, was, and then we looked at him, I was like, oh yeah, it's like it sponsored it originally. And that's just the name of it. And it just, it is Michelin tires, but Michelin stars is just like, all oh, right, okay, right, okay. But then I can't be blamed for thinking that the Michelin man would have anything to do with like high quality food. I think that the Michelin man is sort of tarnished. Well, at least in my mind. What do I know? I don't have any Michelin stars or anything like that. But yeah, that must have been, that must, as you said, they're not, not traditionally your ballpark, I guess, um, your program creating. So it must have been a very exciting and stressful uh, process to get, in, like even to imagine going, right, I'm going to make this TV show and it's going to be on TV and people are going to watch it. That must have been a lot of pressure. I can imagine it would be exciting but that sort of excitement that makes you just want to vomit 24-7. You've absolutely nailed it. That's exactly what it was. Yeah, as, as you say, not something that I was doing. Um, so I got slightly crafty. I teamed up with someone else. <laughs> <laughs> so our presenter for the program was the lovely Rita Fitzgerald, who people might know from UTV Life. And me and Rita go back a long way, actually, because um, when I stumbled into my first radio job, green as grass and with no radio experience, Rita already worked there 
and she had a mid-morning talk show on radio and I was there to be a trainee journalist slash you know general do as you're told type person learn on the job type thing I actually I hadn't even finished my journalism postgrad then someone was off sick or or something like that and and they basically went we need a producer for Rita's program you'll do and I was like, what? I don't know how to produce a radio show. What? <laughs> I had not two clues to rub together. Like, you know, I, I think back now and I honestly don't know what I even did. But Rita took me under her wing and she was just brilliant. Um, so yeah, I, so I've known Rita about 15 years and she's just class. She's one of my favorite people. She has presented program before and is obviously more used to being on camera and, and all of that kind of thing. So... I had this idea for a program and I was like, well, I don't want to be on camera. <laughs> Who could I get? Oh, I just happened to know someone, Rita. And the two of us teamed up and we were like, you know, between the two skill sets here, I think we've got a good little combo going on. Let's, let's see if they'll take a chance on this. Obviously you can't just go, I'm going to make a TV program and then just make a TV program. There is quite a lot of build up much more than even I realized. So you had to come up with a pitch and put in a lot of research and have a very definite idea of what this program is going to be about, the story it's going to tell. You can't, you can't just say, I want to make a program about Claire Smith. Boom, done, that's it. They'll be like, well, well what, what? You know, be more specific. Um, so did all that. And they said, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I went, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> um, and I, because part of me kind of thought, and, and actually, you know, looking back, this wouldn't have happened, but it's just when you, when you don't know these things, this is how your mind works. I was like, maybe they'll just want my idea, but they won't let me work on it, mm -hmm. which would have been a bit of a kick in the teeth, to be honest. But I, I don't think that would happen. So basically, we got trusted to make this program. And, and then obviously there's a, a lot of negotiating goes on because it's all well and good for you to say, I want to make a program about this chef. Well, does this chef want to make a program with you? Mm, who knows? Um, and she does run a stunning restaurant. I mean, I, I'm not a foodie, which seems like a weird thing to say because like I love food, but mm. you know, I always think of a foodie as someone who knows what they're talking about and a bit more of a refined palate Um not, down the chippy like me yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm this was a whole new world it is a fine dining restaurant it's just unbelievably exquisite um and yet weirdly comfortable you know it's not and that was a big thing for claire she didn't want it to be this stuffy come in you know in your top hat and tails mind your p's and q's and and for god's sake don't use the wrong fork you're getting slung out in your ear it is it's more relaxed than that, but it's still pretty high end. Um, especially if you're, you know, pleb like me wandering in off the street, complete with cameraman and TV camera going, hello. Um, so basically, Claire agreed to be in our program. And, and it was like, yes, that's hurdle number one. And for me and Rita, getting to make this, you know, two women, First, you know, Rita's done programs before, but this was like our first opportunity. This was our baby. It was our idea. And, and it was entirely us working on it at every stage. 
So for us to get to do it was a big deal. But then for it to be about a woman from Northern Ireland who's such a, a brilliant figure and has such a, a strong story about, you know, the hurdles that she had to overcome and, you know, being in this really male-dominated environment, that was just brilliant. It was like we, we couldn't have asked um, for a better first program to make of course the flip side of that is we probably couldn't have asked for a harder first program to make mm. because filming food is very difficult and there was a lot of things to consider obviously if you're going to tell this story about this woman who's got this brilliant restaurant people want to see this brilliant restaurant and if your only site of that restaurant is well it's clearly closed and we've come in and sat her down and talk to her but that's it that's all you're getting people will feel a bit cheated you want to see this place in full swing you want to see the kitchen you want to see you know the dining experience what for some people you know this is they're not used to fine dining they don't know what it's like to go to a restaurant like this and and it's nice to you know that's a big part of tv it's it's getting to see things that you might not otherwise get to see and I'd certainly, I'd never been in a restaurant of that quality. So we were like, yeah, but okay. People are paying to go to this restaurant and <laughs> quite a lot of money. Are they going to be thrilled if we saunter in with a camera going, yeah. hello, um, your, your dinner is ruined. And also she has quite a lot of, of celebrity fans. Mm. And so there is an element of, I mean, she's very, if you go there, it doesn't matter who you are, you'll be treated the same and you'll get the same level of privacy. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not, the staff are not going to be going, you're famous and I want a selfie. That, that, that's just not going to happen. But again, what if there was going to be someone like that there and they're obviously not going to want a TV crew rocking yeah. up? Yeah you know really tricky stuff to consider but you know we we managed to think about all that and and make it all work and um and then you know just as a side note she um you know she obviously worked for a long time for gordon ramsay so at some point someone might have been me said we should really get Gordon Ramsay in this program. Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> Wouldn't it be something? Everyone laughed and was like, you're not getting Gordon Ramsay. Catch yourself on. And we got Gordon Ramsay. Yo! I'm quite persistent. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that's, quite, that's quite the catch. Uh, you, don't, you don't still have his email address, do you? I might <laughs> want to have a wee, a wee chat with him uh, myself. So what, what, was, what was Gordon Ramsay like? Did you get to meet him? He's filmed in the program, but were, were you there at the time? Yep. Yep, there was. So the, the, the thing, the reason why, because uh, obviously people know Gordon Ramsay from TV, so they're like, well, you got him to be in more TV. That's not really a big deal. Hmm, hang on. Here's the tricky part. Mr. Ramsay has his own production company and everything that you ever see him in, unless he's occasionally on a chat show, uh, if he's doing like a new TV series or something and, and you know, in the way of these things and, and celebrities go on and talk about their new thing. Uh, he does that occasionally, but everything else that you see, his production company makes. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't have any need to be in anybody else's TV program. He didn't need to be in our TV program. <laughs> so that was quite difficult. But he is a huge fan of Claire. So he is, she would say he was her mentor. 
He was really important to her career. He really supported her. He still supports her. And we basically said, listen, we'd really like to talk to you. And actually, Gordon, get over yourself. It's not all about you. We only want to talk to you because we want to hear what you have to say about Claire, <laughs> who is entirely the focus of our program, um, which I'm sure is a slightly novel experience for him because I'm sure people mm-hmm. normally want to talk to him because he's Gordon Ramsay and also one of the best chefs in the world. So uh, imagine my surprise and everyone else's when he agreed. <laughs> actually, getting hold of him is even more difficult because he has restaurants all over the world and he films programs all over the world and he was actually when we were going to be in London filming with Claire because the ideal would have been that he would come and join us he was actually filming in America and at one point we were like can we just get him on a zoom call or something Um, and it would have been better than nothing But he was so keen to be in it that he came to London Um, and we couldn't get him at the exactly because of the filming schedule. We couldn't get him at exactly the time when we were filming with Claire, but we went back and we met him him at the Savoy Hotel, if you please. I know, I know. So yeah, we rocked up there and, and Mr. Ramsey appeared actually just in the whole, you know, you, you think these things are so glamorous. You know, we went to the Savoy Hotel, we interviewed Mr. Gordon Ramsay. Yeah, um, so we had to get ourselves there and it was at the height of the Extinction Rebellion protests in oh, yeah. London. And uh, tubes were at a standstill and traffic was a nightmare. Uh, you know, Mr. Ramsay's aforementioned busy schedule meant there was a window but it was definitely going to close. <laughs> that window would wait for no man or woman. And I just thought this would be so like it that we have got this all set up and something awful is going to happen. We're not going to make it on time. Um, it's We had to fly over to London at the crack of dawn. And... Um, but we got there and it was fine and it happened. And I, I, I wish I had a brilliant story about how he was in full kitchen nightmare flow and, and we did something to like mildly annoy him <laughs> and he effed and blinded at us and, and we were terrified but delighted at the same time. Um, and, and actually it turns out he was, he was really nice to us and he's actually quite charming and, and yeah, it was, it was in the one sense non-eventful. But that was probably for the best to be honest because with you know, all the stress that goes with the program. I'm not entirely sure my heart could have taken anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you should have started to go to him. You should have started, just get him riled <laughs> up just for the camera. But that, I like that. I like that he, he took specific time out to help lift up, you know, someone that he has been helping all those years. So that um, you always think, he's like, oh, I hope he's a nice man. He seems nice, you know. So, I mean, that as good as you say, he, it, there's no skin off his nose doing that. Like, he could be to be busy making his own program so i guess that, that that was a nice thing that he did have a wee a, a wee quiz here just to finish off and this is actually a gordon ramsay quiz because you, you have been in the presence of the rams the what the ramsinator shall we say um these are some quotes from gordon ramsay um not about your program but just <laughs> throughout his career now there's there's five quotes here some of them are real some of them i've made up okay um, and let's see if you can if you can pick out the real versus the fake ones just based on your your recent proximity to Gordon Ramsay you might be able to tell um these are mostly taken from his kitchen nightmares type 
program. So these these aren't quotes of him being nice. These are quotes of him being a little bit annoyed, shall we say. So we'll start with the first one. You just need to say, well, I don't know, true or false? Ramsey did it. Ramsey didn't do it. Whatever whatever way you want to indicate that this is a okay. true or false statement. And you can use your journalistic skills as well to determine, go, is that how someone would say that? Does that sound like that came out of a person's mouth? So we're testing all sorts of parts of your brain here. Um, so here we go. There's five of them. We'll, we'll, start, we'll start with this one. For what we are about to eat, may the Lord make us truly not vomit. Did Gordon Ramsay say that? Didn't he say that? In one of his programs. These are all something that he has said in one of his programs. What do you think? Ooh. Um... Hmm. I, I'm I'm going to say no. He didn't say that one. I, I think he would say something um, less mild mannered. <laughs> Unfortunately, you're incorrect. He did say that. Uh, he was sitting down to eat something. In a, you know, when his program when he goes to the restaurant and tries the menu before he then oh, yeah. tears it up. So that I can't remember what it was that he sat down in front of. Him. I could sit and watch. See those kitchen nightmares stuff where he travels all around America and. UK and going to the awful restaurants and eating the shit that they serve. I, I can sit and watch that all day. It, you know, it's just, it's just, it's proper. Like it's enter, it's entertainment TV, but you don't have to think about it. And I could. Sit it makes me feel a lot it. better about my cooking skills. That's yeah. what I take from it. And and these are people who have restaurants, like, and you're like, well, exactly. I'm doing a wee bit better than them, at least. Let's try another one here. You call that a souffle? I call that spitting on my mother's grave. Did Gordon Ramsay say that? Didn't he say that? What do you think? Uh, I'll go with yes, he did say that. Unfortunately, he didn't say that. <laughs> I made that one up. <laughs> I'm so I'm bad at this. I'm pleased. I'm pleased at that. I, 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 could, I could write his script so far. Okay, let's try another one. Jimmy Changa, Jimmy Chuck it in the bin. Yes. Yes, he did say that. And I was... Yeah. I wasn't impressed by that. That's very, that's very no, poor. That's, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I have written better than that. It's just been uh, <laughs> proved. As previously proven. Um, let's try this one. Uh, this would taste better if I edit with my arse. Didn't, did Gordon Ramsay say that? Didn't he say that? This would taste better if I edit with my arse. What do you think? Uh... Yes, I'm going to say he did say that. He didn't say that, I wrote that one. <laughs> <laughs> he possibly should, looking at some of the creations. Yeah, so far he's, he's, he's not been great. And I, I, I almost didn't include that one because that's a bit, it's a bit obscene, but, you know, it sounds <laughs> So um, that'll do. Let me see, there's one more. So we've done four, haven't we? Have you, you've got one correct, I think, so far? That's pretty poor. That's pretty poor. Um, so you, you, you can't you can't make it even, but let's let's try let's try and get this last one uh, correct. <clears throat> fuck off, you fat useless sack of fucking Yankee Doodle Dandy shite. Go on, fuck off. Do you think he? <laughs> or did I say that? <laughs> um, it it sounds plausible from from either avenue. Um, <laughs> I I'm gonna say that yes, he did. You're correct. He did somehow say that to, to a real life person. Fuck off, you fat, useless sack of fucking Yankee doodle dandy shite. 
it really it really rolls off the tongue that one he must have must have been having a good day uh, when he wrote that one but yeah there do you was think a... what's throwing me in this whole scenario is that he was so nice when mm. i met him so that's that's throwing me off um and I'm, I'm, that's going to be yeah. my excuse and i'm sticking to it but that one there the chimichanga chimichucka in the bin that is shite. That's weak sauce. Yeah. For, you'd expect someone like Gordon Ramsay not to produce weak sauce, given that he is a chef. <laughs> um, but there we go. Victoria, thanks very much. It's uh, been a very, very interesting and uh, fun chat. And nice to chat to you. Nice to chat to a real-life human person for a change as well. Yeah, some some actual interaction beyond the bubble. It's mm. it's been good. Well, all the best, and uh, sure, I'll see I'll see you at some point in the next few years, probably the way things are going. Who knows? Who knows? Thanks very much. Bye bye. Bye. And there we have it. A lovely chat with Victoria Stavely. As I said at the start. Taste of Success is still available on the ITV player. Um, I think it came out just before the pandemic, so it, it it's good to get caught up on stuff if you've already watched, you know, everything that um has been out earlier in the year, like Tiger King and all the rest of it. Do you remember Tiger King? Do you remember the days where we'd all sit in the house and go, fuck me, that boy loves tigers, doesn't he? Or does he? You know? Uh, heady, heady days of the pandemic. Or what pandemic, some people would say. But those people are wankers. Nevertheless... Um, thanks very much to Victoria. As I said, it's there, there will be more episodes of Instant Feedback, but because, you know, the whole idea of Instant Feedback was that I would go to live gigs and talk to people, and that still is kind of a bit knackered. Um, there are some popping up, but I don't see myself going to any of them anytime soon. So Instant Feedback will probably be a mainly remote podcast from now on, I would say, in the format will pretty much just be one-on-one interviews. I don't know. We'll have a wee think about it um, and see what I can come up with. She'll be a bit of crack anyway. Sure, what else would you be doing? I'm sure it'll be, be, be getting dark soon. Be getting dark for the rest of the year. You have to be sitting in your house listening to people. You can't go out. It's too dark. You know, it'll be getting cold. You don't want to go out. You'll just want to sit indoors. Sit indoors and listen to someone in your ears talking away. And I'll be here for that. Don't you worry. Don't you worry. Um, Thanks very much for listening. I will speak to you soon. Until then, stay safe and bye-bye.